And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Take seven. We goofed, man. Goes, I think of her, but she thinks only of him. No, it's only a whim, she thinks of him. Her name is Jim. Not the... Okay. Soon as you hear Jim, you're in. One, two, three, one, two, three. Baby's in black and I'm feeling blue Tell me, oh, what can I do? She thinks of him And so she dresses in black And though he'll never come back She's dressed in black Oh dear, what can I do? Baby's in black and I'm feeling blue Tell me, oh, what can I do? Only a month after the release of their Hard Day's Night LP, the Beatles were back in studio two at Abbey Road to begin work on their next album, whose release would be timed to hit the Christmas market. It would be their fourth LP release in the UK, and as had now become standard practice, its contents would be spread across several other LP releases in the US. The Beatles were on an incredibly tight schedule in the latter half of 1964, With a five-week US tour rapidly approaching, it was decided that committing at least a few numbers to tape before this trip would ease the pressure to complete the album upon their return from the States in late September. Of course, this meant renewed pressure on John Lennon and Paul McCartney to come up with enough new songs in a very short period of time. Would the flow of ideas they had enjoyed until now be enough to fill an album? After all, A Hard Day's Night had delivered 13 brand new original songs without the need to resort to cover versions as they had on their first two albums. Babies in Black The first song to be recorded for the new LP, a Lennon-McCartney original, was perfected in 14 takes on the 11th of August 1964 and treated to overdubs of extra vocals, guitars and tambourine in the same session before it was marked as complete. An unusual feature of its recording was how George achieved the volume swirls featured throughout his lead guitar track. A standard piece of equipment for the modern guitarist is a volume pedal which can be used to increase or decrease volume, leaving both hands free to play. However, George wouldn't add a volume pedal to his kit until early 1965, which meant that John sat and adjusted the volume knob on George's guitar as he played his lead guitar parts on the overdub. Low-tech stuff for a high-end result. The 14th of August saw the Beatles back in Studio 2 with another original. I'm a Loser was somewhat of a departure from the generally upbeat nature of Beatles songs to this point, 
with shades of Bob Dylan in the lyrics and its vocal delivery. By now, the Beatles were rehearsing and arranging their new songs as they recorded them in the studio, using multiple takes to achieve the sounds they wanted. As a result, early takes often sounded very different to the finished product, with many omissions and additions along the way. George Martin explains. We tended to rehearse for the recording as we did it. And the rehearsal consisted of um, making the record. It was like a workshop. Take four. Yeah, it's hard to get a good eye. It's okay. The light is on. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, a... okay. Okay. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I'm not what I appear to be. Of all the love I have won or have lost. There is one love I should never have crossed She was a girl in a million, my friend I should have known she would win in the end I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear Oh, sorry, sorry Take five Can I put it there? Can you do it? You've only got to come in now and then, it's just... Yeah. I'm just Can all uncomfy, the... yeah. I've only got to be reminded of it. OK. OK. I'm a loser I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear to be Of all the love Why? Take six. I'm here to be pumped the mic up. Oh. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I'm not what I appear to be. Of all the love I have won or have lost, there is one love I should never have crossed. She was a girl in a million, my friend I should have known I would lose in the end I'm a loser And I love someone who's near to me I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear to be Although I laugh and I act like a clown Beneath this mask, I am wearing a frown. My tears are falling like rain from the sky. Is it for her or myself that I cry? I'm a loser, and I lost someone who's near to me. I'm a loser, and I'm not what I appear to be.
What have I done to deserve such a fate? I realize I have left it too late. And so it's true, pride comes before a fall. I'm telling you so that you won't lose all. I'm a loser, and I lost someone who's near to me. I'm a loser, and I'm not what I appear to be. Takes four to six of I'm a Loser. Take six was the first to feature John's harmonica break, although this would be overdubbed onto take eight of the basic track, which was deemed best. Double-tracked vocals and George's distinct guitar solo would also be added to take eight, thus completing the song which would be the second track on the LP's running list. In this same session, and with their departure to America looming, the Beatles laid down two cover versions for potential use on the new album, beginning with the song which was part of their stage act pre-Beatlemania. Mr. Moonlight, a relatively recent 1962 B-side for Dr. Feelgood and the Interns, was something of a cult favourite among British rhythm and blues bands at the time, and the Beatles included it in their setlist while in Hamburg in December 1962. Four takes would be recorded on this evening. Love you. 
Mr. Moonlight Mr. Moonlight Come again please Here I am on my knees Begging if you please And the lights that don't come my way I pray and pray more each day Cause we love you Mr. Moonlight And the lights don't come my way I pray and pray more each day Cause we love you Mr. Moonlight, Mr. Moonlight, come again, please. Here I am on my knees, begging if you please. And the lights you don't come my way, oh, I pray and pray for each day, cause we love you. Mr. Moonlight, Mr. Moonlight, Mr. Moonlight. Fragments of takes one and two, plus take four of Mr. Moonlight, featuring a heavily tremoloed guitar solo from George, which, in its remake in October, would be replaced by a Hammond organ break. While this version was never used, it wasn't entirely wasted. John's vocal intro into Take 4 was considered so good that it was spliced onto the front of Take 8 for the remake, finding its way onto the A-side of the album. While Mr. Moonlight is often cited as one of the least favourite Beatles tracks, both by fans and by critics, the other song recorded in this session is regarded as a favourite outtake. Leave My Kitten Alone, originally recorded in 1959 by Little Willie John and covered two years later by Johnny Preston, was an obscurity which charted relatively poorly for both artists. Before wrapping up their session on the 14th of August, the Beatles made the song their own.
Take five of Leave My Kitten Alone. While the song was consigned to the EMI vault soon after, its appearance on bootlegs left fans wondering why the Beatles chose Mr. Moonlight over this rhythm and blues rocker. It was slated as a potential single release in 1980, and again for an outtakes collection called Sessions in 1985, both of which failed to materialise. It would eventually take pride of place on Anthology 1, more than 30 years after it was recorded. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. I would hate my disappointment to show. There's nothing for me here, so I will if she turns up while I'm gone, please let me know. The Beatles for Sale sessions straddled the band's first extended tour of the United States, which was the subject of our last episode. Upon their return from America, the band reconvened at Abbey Road Studios on the 29th of September to resume work on the album. With a handful of new songs, some written on the road in America, work began in earnest to complete the LP. Sandwiched between two songs which would be attempted on this day, but remade on the 30th, was John's I Don't Want to Spoil the Party, an acoustic guitar-based number with Everly Brothers-style lyrics and vocal harmonies to match. Nine takes of the basic track were needed, onto which John harmonised with himself on a lead vocal overdub, adding backing harmonies from Paul on the bridges, and Ringo with his trusty tambourine to complete a simple but memorable track. I 
Though tonight she's made me sad I still love her If I find her I'll be glad I still love her Though I've had a drink or two and I don't care There's no fun in what I do if she's not there I wonder what went wrong Waited for too long But I think I'll take a walk and look for her The following day saw two new Lennon and McCartney originals, both attempted the previous evening, refined and completed. Every little thing would be included on the second side of the new LP. On to take nine of the basic track was simultaneous overdubs of George's lead guitar, Paul's bass notes on piano, and, in a Beatles first, Ringo on timpani, adding a dramatic edge to a fairly standard recording. I'm walking beside her People tell me I'm lucky Yes, I know I'm a lucky guy I remember the first time I was lonely without her Can't stop thinking about her now Every little thing she does She does for me yeah, and you know the thing she does, she does for me, ooh. When I'm with her, I'm happy, just to know that she loves me. Yes, I know that she loves me. What You're Doing was the next to be committed to tape. Having recorded seven takes the previous night, the Beatles picked it up again this day, with take 11 being temporarily marked as best. Take 11. Don't do it when we're singing. Don't do it while you're playing. One, two, three, four. Look what you're doing. I'm feeling blue and lonely. Would it be too much to ask of you what you're doing? To me, you got me running, and there's no fun in it, not when it seems so much to ask of you what you're doing to me. I've been waiting here for you, wondering what you're gonna do, and should you need a love that's true, it's me. Should it be so much to ask of you what you're doing to me? Look what you're doing. I'm feeling blue and lonely. Would it be too much to ask of you what you're doing? To me, what you're doing to me, what you're doing to me. 
are not so polished to take 11 of what you're doing. A remake in October would see the song receive its distinctive drums-only intro and jangly 12-string Rickenbacker riffs, which remind listeners of the impending influence of the 1964 Beatles sound on up-and-coming bands such as The Birds. The final track recorded in this marathon session had a slightly older heritage. Originally demoed in the last session for A Hard Day's Night back in June, without Ringo due to illness and just after auditioning his replacement for their Australasian tour, Jimmy Nickel, and recorded but not released by fellow Scouser Tommy Quickly, No Reply was destined to open the new album. A seemingly simple song, but with some interesting junctures throughout, No Reply was another track which took shape in the studio. The, 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 the lights on. I know it is. Huh? So. And don't slow down for Christ's sake. Or I'm giving you no more drugs. Green for a shit, I see, Megan. Take one, no reply. Sing it, what was that about not singing with me? <laughs> well, okay, I'll just sing it. Because my voice is killing me. This happened once before. That's it, okay. One, one, two, three. This happened once before. I came to your door. No reply. They said it wasn't you. I saw you peep through. Your window I saw the light Never make it Stop I saw the light have to do it. Just can't get anywhere near light now So we'll have to do it Take two This happened once before I came to your door No reply they said it wasn't you, but I saw you peep through your window. I saw the light. I saw the light. I know that you saw me, but I looked up to see your face. Okay. I tried to telephone, they said you were not home.
Well, we just found out what to do anyway. It's good. Live in Abbey Road Studio Number 2, with George Martin adding his touches on piano, takes one and two of no reply. Having abandoned the live piano in earlier takes, take eight was marked as best and treated to overdubs of extra vocals, drum and cymbal splashes, and reduced piano in the bridges. John's a cappella intro would introduce the album superbly. Another evening session on the 6th of October would provide one of the album's most memorable cuts, and the opener to side B of the LP. Paul explains how the title was born out of a regular writing session at John's house. We used to do three-hour sessions normally. I'd go to his house or he'd come to mine. We'd sit down for about three hours. One of us would normally have a bit of an idea. I'd just arrived at his house out in Weybridge. He'd be getting up. That would be the signal for him to get up, you know, and have a quick coffee and then we'd be into the thing. I'd just got out the car and had a driver on this. I think I'd been done for speeding, so I'd had a driver on this occasion. I almost just drive myself. And I was chatting to him, as you do, and I said, um, what have you been doing? I've been working hard, I've been working eight days a week. Oh, oh yeah. And then went in, so John said, right, what are we doing? I said, a song called Eight Days a Week. Oh, good title, yeah. And so we just, you know, and we wrote it. And it only ever took us those three hours. And we, I don't ever remember coming away from there without a song finished. Take two. Okay, is it just me and you? One, two, three, four. I'll try to remember, John, and if I don't, well, it's just too bad, isn't it? One, but hold on. One, two, three. You're daft, yes. One, two, three, four.
Early takes of Eight Days a Week, another fine example of writing under pressure. The vocally harmonised intro would eventually be replaced by a building guitar and drums intro, which was faded up at the remix stage, a highly unusual technique for the time. Naturally, it was felt that the outro should be a similar bookend to the song, so a separate overdub of just George and Ringo was added nearly two weeks later. The song was released as a single in several countries and reached number one in the US. The Beatles weren't comfortable with lifting songs from albums to make singles. They saw it as lazy and disappointing for their fans. I've heard it said that, that a lot of these would make good singles. Do you think there's any likelihood at all of them being released? Well, actually, that way? one of them no. nearly was, you know. But the wrong but, one. Uh, anyway. But it, it wasn't as good as the single, we don't think, you know. But, but it was nearly at you one can't point. Sings off an LP after the LP's been out. Well, a lot of people do. Though. Well, in America they do. In America they do that, you know. Well, and it's a bit of a drag, yes. Yeah, it's a bit of a drag, that. Contractually, however, the Beatles needed to produce singles on top of their album releases. But of course, they needed the songs to do so. The 8th of October saw the recording of the song intended to be the new Beatles single. Now then, what can we talk about next? Uh, How about records? That's what you're here for. That's what you're here for. That's records. All right, talk about records. Tell me about your new one, apart from the fact that it's marvellous. Oh, oh, you dry. shouldn't. I know okay, I go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, I know we always have a little laugh up and chat about your records. I think this is the best one you made, this single. Right? Oh, oh thanks great, lot, thank you, Brian. Right? I know you. nobody cares, but I do. Oh, know? we I do. We're fed up with people saying, what's that rubbish? No, it's the best one you made, and I think the B-side is better than the A-side. Oh, well, I don't. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Well, as long as they buy the record, they get both sides anyway. So that's, that's for sure, it doesn't really matter. Did you no. both write them both? Yes. Or? Yes. You did. Written Community both. effort. So In fact, uh, the B-side was written the morning of the session. Actually, in the studio. You're yes, what, really. The whole thing? No, no, most of it. We had about one verse, you see, and we had to finish it off rather quickly, and that's yeah. why there's such rubbishy lyrics. Just a bit of soul in the studio, there, you see. She's a woman. Take five, is it? Take seven. She don't give boys the eye. 
Take five of She's a Woman, complete with the wild, impromptu outro jam. George Martin had mistakenly called this take seven, and it was the next take which proved the bed for guitar and vocal overdubs, as well as the addition of Paul's piano part and the song's distinctive percussion. With the album's deadline rapidly approaching, the Beatles needed to kick into top gear to meet their commitments. With only eight of the 14 album tracks and half a single in the can, it was time to go into overdrive. Reminiscent of the efficiency of recording their first album, in a single nine-hour session on the 18th of October, the Beatles laid down a further eight numbers, which would see the necessary tracks recorded. Only two of these songs were originals, with the Beatles delving back into their stage repertoire to fill the gaps. Take two of Little Richard's Kansas City. Only two takes were recorded, with both versions being overdubbed with harmony vocals. George Martin finally decided that take one was best, and with some piano work added by the Beatles producer, the song was complete. Attention then turned to a brand new original number. Ten days earlier, the Beatles thought that the new single's A-side was complete, 
But the emergence of this track changed their thinking, and its intro had a very unique sound for its day, which came about completely by accident. Um, John had mucked around with feedback for a while, and yes, it was intentional. Um, he, he, we found, he found it quite difficult to get the right, the right amount of feedback, you know. And I think it was the first time, was it not, that feedback was used on a record? He loved things like that. He loved uh, weird kind of um, effects. And it was his idea. It was great. I seem to remember that they, John and George had Everly Brothers Gibsons. Yeah, well, we had these big Gibson round we sound called them Everly Brothers. Ones. They looked like the Everly's had, had used. And um, they were John, John put, and so they were electric. They were acoustic, semi-electrics. They had electric facilities, I think. And John leaned his against the, the amp. Yeah. And then we were just going to go on and talk about the song and suddenly the, the A string started feeding back a truck. We were just, what? Can we, can you do that? You know, he said, George, why are you doing that? He's on the front or something. So but I'm he sure figured that's... out how to do it, you know, because we used to do it on stage then, live. So John figured out, you know, he just yeah. had to hit the A and I get it by the, buzzing by the amp. So that was the start so of all that way, Hendrix John, yes, feedback. He Jimi Hendrix. It probably it? was, actually, you know. <laughs> well, you know, once you see somebody uh, messing with feedback, it's a whole field of research, isn't it, as it became later. Yeah. But I'm sure that's how it happened. It wasn't uh, engineered. It came from the accident. And then we made it something we could edit onto the front. Five.
Nine takes were needed to perfect the backing track of I Feel Fine, and John's feedback was a feature of each one. Vocals were added as an overdub, as was George's shadowing of John's riff throughout the song. The new A-side of the Beatles' next single, destined to be a number one all over the world, was complete. Not only were the Beatles trawling back through their live set for album fillers, they were also thumbing the pages of the teenage Lennon and McCartney songbook. I'll Follow the Sun was written way back in 1959 and captured on a 1960 home recording as a jaunty, up-tempo number. With the pressure on to complete the new album, the song was resurrected, given a whole new feel and completed in a speedy eight takes. A November 1964 BBC recording of the song which would become a fan favourite from Beatles for Sale, the last original song to be recorded for the album, and still part of Paul McCartney's live set. The last four tracks recorded on this day would be covers from a handful of the Beatles' favourite artists. From time to time, George is allowed to uh, do, a, <coughs> do a number when the Beatles have been right, George? That's right, yeah, sometimes, like... You're sounding a I've got, fine I've got a tonight. cold and a cough and a sore throat and a cough oh. and a cold. But, yeah, apart from that... I'm Otherwise, not... you'd like to do a song for us. Yeah, but, you know, I'll probably be having a bit of trouble, but... Yeah, well, don't worry. We'll, reali- we'll all realise that you're doing your best. Yeah. What should Thank it be? Thank you. Um, the one off the new LP, what it's called, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, and I didn't write it, even though it is conceited. 
<laughs> well, he took some honey from a tree, dressed it up, and they called him. Everybody's trying to be my baby. Everybody's trying to be my baby. Everybody's trying to be my baby now. When I last night, half past four, fifty women knocking on my door. Everybody's trying to be my baby. Everybody's trying to be my baby. Everybody's trying to be my baby now. Most of the boys' songs today are taken from their latest LP, which is called what, Paul? Called Beatles for Sale. All of them. And it's got eight of our songs, and the, the rest are... The rest... Eight from 14, what's that? Nine, please. Two no, six. <laughs> I'm not very good at counting. Six, so I see. Six, six, of course, yeah. six, yes. Eight and six. How many GCs? <clears throat> well, I didn't get that one. Who, <laughs> counting. Didn't get counting. Who are the other numbers? Kansas know? City. Two yeah. Carl one. Perkins, Two one Little Richard, one Chuck Berry, nice. and one Dr. Feelgood. And that's the, that's the rest. We like the old numbers. All right, well, you, you pick one now that isn't your own to sing for us, well. will you? What's the Chuck Berry number? Uh, rock and roll music, which goes on for about an hour. I love one over crossing the night. 
BBC versions of songs that would complete the new Beatles LP. Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, released by Carl Perkins in 1957, gave George his only lead vocal on the album. Recorded in a single take, this track would close the B-side of the LP. Chuck Berry's hit rock and roll music was a firm favourite of John's and had been in the Beatles' repertoire since 1957. The album version is also a single take with a blistering vocal from John, reminiscent of his work on Twist and Shout, with some fantastic live piano work from George Martin, perhaps the closest you can get to being live in the studio with the Beatles. Honey, don't 
BBC recordings of Beatles for Sale numbers. Buddy Holly's Words of Love, yet another 1957 release, only needed three takes to be perfected and gave John and Paul another avenue for their close harmony work. The last track recorded for the album was another Carl Perkins number, this time from 1956, and was the B-side to Blue Suede Shoes. Honey Don't, which in the Beatles' early days was sung by John, was handed to Ringo for his only vocal spot on the LP. George, what did it sound like with the bass doing a funny thing? Did it sound any good or did it sound just a lovely crap? It sounded like Did it? Well, let's uh, see. Told you. Hello to you and see how you like it. The rushed and disjointed nature of the writing and recording of Beatles for Sale meant that it wasn't as creative or cohesive as other Beatles releases, especially later albums in which the Beatles invested more and more time to the process. It was a means to an end, and while only six of the 14 tracks were Lennon and McCartney originals, there were some quality songs amongst them. What this album also did was preserve more slices of the Beatles' stage repertoire albeit from the comfort of Studio 2 at EMI, rather than the dance halls of Liverpool or the seedy nightclubs of Hamburg. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we'll see in a new Beatle year, complete with a wedding, the beginnings of another Beatles film and its soundtrack. Until next time, 